Thank you. Come on, let's give Jesus a clap. Let's give him the biggest honor tonight. You're the best, Lord. You're the best. We love you. We honor you. How good you are. We're so excited about what you want to do tonight. We can feel in the atmosphere your presence. Holy Spirit, Pentecost Sunday, we say, come, Holy Spirit. Come with fresh fire. Come upon our lives. Come and touch us powerfully. We need you, Holy Ghost. We need you, Holy Ghost. Never, never, never more have we needed you. Then we need you in our nation now. We say, come, Spirit of the Lord. Fresh fire from heaven. Fresh fire on our lives. Oh, yes, come on. Come on, let's expect him tonight. Let's believe tonight for him to come. We look to you, Lord. We want you to come and touch us. Come, Holy Ghost. We love you, Lord. Whoa. Awesome, man. So exciting. And it gives someone a high five. For good. Do something. Smile and tell him you come to the right place. <laughs> Whoa. Wow, just so exciting. Great to be here and always a house of honor. It's a great joy to be here and I've got to know friends here and well, we've had a long journey with the house here. And then every, every time I come, they bring new people out and stick them in a room alone with us. Just, what kind of torture is that? You know someone moves in deliverance and you shove someone into the room with them. Shut the door. Man, oh man. Must be interns or something like that, you know. Wow, it's just so good and such a, a great sense of God here and the church thriving. Isn't that wonderful? And uh, today, you know, because they celebrate Pentecost Sunday, I reckon, well, every day is for us Pentecost, you know. But we're going to have a great time tonight. And uh, I want to share something from the Word, and then we'll just start to pray for people, minister people. Let's see what God does tonight. Amen? Amen. I'm looking forward to it. But I know if I start, I won't get to preach. And I want to I leave a message with you. And uh, here's the message. I want to, here's the message called Fire on the Altar. Fire on the altar. Fire on the altar. Now, of course, altars, you don't hear about altars anywhere much in a Western society. But when you go to many parts of the world, you find that altars are quite a common thing. You go to an Asian shop and there'll be a little altar in the corner and they'll have a little candle or something, incense and things burning. We sort of don't think anything much about it. But if you read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, there are altars. There's an altar in heaven. There's an altar before the Lord upon which there's fire. And in the end times, there's going to be fire released from that altar on the earth. And so we need to understand about altars. So I want to share a little bit about it. And uh, I want to show you, there's many places we could look at this because it's in Genesis, goes right through to Revelation. But I want to make it really personal and uh, show you how you can prepare your heart as an altar for the fire of God to come on you. Then we'll just see what the Lord does. Eh? So let's read in 1 Kings 18 verse 30. 1 Kings 18 verse 30. I'm not going to read the whole story, but you're familiar with the story of Elijah and how there was a famine in the land. And then uh, he brought together the prophets of Baal and uh, they had a competition to see which God answers with fire from heaven. <laughs> what, God, what God answers with fire from heaven. And so he let them jump up and down for the whole of the day. He mocked and ridiculed them. And then it tells us this, it said, it said in 1 Kings 18.30, Then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. And all the people came near to him. And here it is. He repaired 
the altar of the Lord that was broken down. He repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. One of the, when we look at the story of Elijah, you can think of all kinds of things, but one of the most significant things he did as a prophet was to repair the altar of the Lord that was broken down. Everything in our life with God, everything flows out of the altar of the Lord. And we're going to want you to understand what that is. It said, notice it said, he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. That word broken down is not that it just fell into disrepair. Someone had come and intentionally dismantled and destroyed it so it could no longer function as it was intended to function. And uh, it says, uh, notice there, intentionally done. And so it tells us then at the time of the evening sacrifice, at the time when they would normally be in the temple and making the offering of a Passover lamb or a lamb uh, as a sacrifice, that's when he begins to call on the Lord. Verse 37, hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know you are the Lord God and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. And the fire, oh, there it is, the fire of the Lord fell. Whoa! Consumed the burnt sacrifice, the wood, the stones, the dust, licked up all the water, consumed it, consumed stones. How about that? Consumed the wood, consumed the dust even. And all the people saw it, they fell on their face, said, the Lord is God, the Lord is God. Notice there, fire came literally out of the invisible realm of the Spirit. Fire came from before the very throne of God, and as it, as it moved out of the invisible spirit realm into the physical realm, it became a physical fire that they saw. That is scary stuff. That is really scary. No wonder they fell on the ground. Whoa, the fire of God fell. There is a fire that comes from the very throne of God, and when it falls on our life, it transforms us. I can remember as a, as a, uh, just when uh, I'd started going out with Joy and, and uh, we had, uh, we'd gone to this, um, this camp and it wasn't even, it was a brethren camp. It wasn't even, it wasn't even Pentecostal camp and we'd been married just a couple of years and I had this hunger growing in my heart for God and I didn't know what. I went to a Pentecostal church and I didn't understand a bit of it and uh, it was, there was a revival going on and what a revival was. And people were excited, and God was moving, and, and I used to hide because I think they're going to tell all my secrets, you know. He was moving in words and knowledge. So I used to hide a bit. And, uh, and anyway, I, we went to this camp, and I remember saying, God, I don't know what this baptism in the Spirit and speaking in tongues is, but I want it. I need it. And suddenly, fire fell from heaven on the altar of my heart. I began to speak in tongues. Now, I couldn't say it out loud, of course, because uh, we're not a Pentecostal place, and this Easter Sunday, and I've got this fire burning inside me. I remember when we went back to Auckland, I remember walking around the block at night, and I could feel the fire inside my life. And my head was arguing, that well-educated head, we couldn't understand a thing about what was going on. It's saying, stop it. Someone will hear you. You'll get locked up for sure. This is crazy. Don't do it. Don't do it. And I'm saying, be quiet. My spirit is alive in a way I've never known before. God is with me. And man, that started my journey off. Oh, my. The fire of God fell on an altar that was prepared. And uh, I want to talk to you then about the significance of altars, because as it's a word you don't come across, except in church, altar call, we don't even think about it, it's all altar call, it means you go up the front, but we don't think about altar and understand the significance and importance of an altar, whereas if you are in a culture that engages the spirit realm, they understand fully what an altar is about. 
See, and so I want to talk about, first of all, an altar is a place of sacrifice. An altar is a place of sacrifice. It's a place where you let go something and it's no longer available for your use. So on an altar, they would sacrifice. Some places, it's small. It may be just incense, and they put some incense sticks. It may be some fruit offering. It may be an animal, animal blood. It may be whatever it is. It can even go as far in some places as human blood. But something is surrendered to God, and you lose access to it. That's the core of an altar. It's a place of sacrifice where what you have, you let go, and uh, and uh, it's, it's sacrifice. So Sometimes when they use the word altar and sacrifice, they mean exactly the same thing. Altars and sacrifices go together. So an altar, firstly, is a place of sacrifice. If you're building an altar, then you're building a place where you're going to put something that you'll never see or never use again. So that brings us to the second thing that an altar is. An altar is a place of exchange. A place of exchange. A place of exchange. And exchange means I'm trading. I'm surrendering something, but I receive something in return. So you've got to understand that. An altar is not just where it's all about sacrifice and letting go. An altar is actually a place of engagement with the spirit realm. It's a place where something is sacrificed, but there's an exchange. Now, even if you're in a non-Christian culture, if you're in a culture that uh, worships uh, spirits and idols and so on, they understand that that sacrifice is given for their protection, that that sacrifice is given so they'll be blessed in their crops or their business or whatever, so they'll be provided for, or that sacrifice is made so they can have some power. So, so for people who operate in a culture familiar with altars, they understand it is a place of sacrifice. It is a place of exchange. See? And we exchange something and receive something in return. And of course, the third aspect then of an altar is an altar is a place of encountering or engaging the supernatural realm of the Spirit. So from Genesis to Revelation, altars were places of engagement with the supernatural realm. We're all getting quiet about that now. Yeah, you got to understand. <laughs> they were gateways or portals into the spirit dimension. It, they're God's prescribed way of accessing the realm of the spirit. Think about that. We want engagements with God. You have to build an altar. You have to understand how God wants the altar built and what to put on it what's acceptable to him. So an altar then, place of exchange, a gateway to the spirit, the spirit realm, and it's a place of encounter. And so altars, you either encounter God or you encounter the demonic realm. So people without realizing it can build evil altars where they engage the demonic realm, and now they have opened a door through spiritual trading and demons have legal right to access their life. So if you think then an altar is a place of engaging the spirit realm, think of some of the things you could do that would connect you to the spirit realm. Drugs will immediately connect you into the spirit realm. You don't realize when you take them, you have built an altar to engage demons. See, this, this is an altar. An altar is a place of engaging the spirit realm. People don't realize when they make sacrifices and make offerings that often they're engaging a demonic realm that will never let them go. You can't involve yourself in the occult without engaging the spirit realm. And so it always has to do with altars. So 
but, but the Bible talks to us about this, tells us about how to build an altar that will bring not demonic entities into our life, but will bring the Spirit of God, will bring the very power and person of the Spirit of God into our life. How about that? How about that? We need to be that, see? So we want to have that. So we want to have the altar of the Lord. So another thing about an altar, an altar is usually a set-apart place. In other words, if a person built an altar, it was a place set apart for the God that they worshipped. So I've gone into homes, and they have a, they have a set-apart place for their gods. And, of course, the gods that they worship don't bring upon them good things. The gods that they worship bring upon them troubles. I, I, was had, I had a neighbor, and he rung me up and contacted me. He said to me, he said, I wonder if you can come and help me. He said, we're having trouble in our family. I said, what's the trouble? They said, well, uh, we've got... Uh, We've got sickness all the time. We've, sickness, just repeated cycle. As soon as you get over it, there's something else happens, something else happens. And we've got tension and conflict, which we've never had in our family, never. And he said, I don't understand it. I said, how long has it been there? And he said, six months. I said, let me pray about it, and I'll come back to you. I prayed about it, and as I prayed about it, the Lord showed me uh, pictures of two masks. And uh, they were Fijian masks. And I came back to him and I said, you don't happen by any chance to have a couple of masks in your house, do you? Um, he said, yeah, we got them when we went to Fiji. I said, how long ago was that? He said, six months ago. I said, can you see the connection between the masks? Do you understand that when they make the masks, they hand carve them and the masks are images of the God they worship and they lay hands on them and it becomes a place of entry for their gods. You've opened the door to the demonic in your house. You've actually got within your house uh, altars to idols, altars to evil spirits. And it's no wonder they feel welcome there and are causing their devastation. He said, what should I do? I said, well, well they made wood. And he said, yes. He said, I said, burn them. He came back the next day and he said, I, they wouldn't burn. Did you put petrol on them? Yes, they still wouldn't burn. I said, here's what you do. He said, you need to do something because this is an entry point. This is an altar. This is a, a set-apart place for demons to enter. Here's what you do with it. Go to it next time. Take it outside. Don't do it inside in your, in your fireplace. Put the petrol on it, and before you light the match, speak to it. Speak to that altar. Speak to those masks and bind the spirits and then command it to burn. And <laughs> I said, he come back to me. I said, how'd it go? He said, I nearly got burnt myself. He said, man, that thing burned. There was nothing but a few ashes left. The whole thing just burned up. There you go. He bought some fire from heaven on it, eh? How about that? So, so the altar of the Lord. Now, there's an altar that God has established. So all altars in the Bible are prophetic pictures of an altar that God had planned before the creation of man. And when that altar was set up, power was released. I want you to see that the altar that we have and the altar of the Lord ultimately is the place set apart to encounter the Lord. It's called the cross of Jesus Christ. The ultimate altar is the cross of Jesus Christ. I want you to read with me these verses in uh, Matthew 27, verse 50. And it says, Jesus cried again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. So when Jesus went to the cross, the cross became the altar where he gave up his life. He didn't have it taken from him. He said he yielded up his life. And so uh, Jesus himself became the offering. He became the offering. He is the Lamb of God. He's the spotless Lamb of God. He follows the pattern of the Old Testament. He came into the city. He was celebrated. He was inspected four times and found without blame. And then, like the Lamb in the Old, He was brought 
to sacrifice. He gave up his life. I want you to see what happened when the altar of God is established in the earth. And it says here, look at this, look at this. It said, Jesus cried out again with a loud voice, verse 50, and yielded up his spirit, 51. And behold, the veil of the temple was torn from top to bottom. That is a thick leather veil. That is so thick, there's impossible for human hands to do it. Supernatural hands from heaven reached down, tore that veil from top to bottom, saying, that sacrifice is acceptable to me. The power of God is released into the earth. And it says, not only that, it says, the earth quaked and the rocks were split. If you've ever been in an earthquake, they're, 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 they're frightening because if everything shakes. You've got no control. Everything is moving. And if it's a very big one, the thing you're wondering about is this the big one. Will my house fall down around me? And so the earth quakes. It takes enormous power to move the earth. It says the earth quakes so much that rocks were shattered. That is a very big earthquake. You can barely stand in an earthquake like that. And it says not only did the rock shatter, it said that the graves were open. In other words, rocks or boulders put in front of the graves were rolled aside. The graves split open. You could see the dead bodies. Now that's power released through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And it said not only that, it adds this to it, which makes this, this really sets it off. Because we would consider death to be an enemy, and it is an enemy. It's like who can conquer death. And it says that when Jesus was raised from the dead, the bodies of many of the saints arose from the dead and went into the holy city and appeared to many. Now that is really, really scary stuff. That is power from on high. That is the power of God. Imagine suddenly someone appears to you and they've been dead for 100 years. That is very, very scary. In other words, what he's trying to say is, that when Jesus offered his sacrifice, when he built and established an altar of his own life and gave his life, great power was released from heaven. That altar of Jesus Christ is our altar. He did it on our behalf. He did it so we could have access to God. He did it so the Spirit of God could enter our life. He did it so the power of sin could be broken. He did it so curses could be broken. He did it so you could have a hope and a future. He did it so you could overcome situations in life. That's our God. Come on, Holy Ghost. The altar of the Lord. So the altar, so what altar do we have? This is the altar, and it says in Hebrews, we have an altar that we participate in that those who are under law know nothing about. It's what Christ has done for us, and our response is to build an altar in our heart. The altars God are looking for are spiritual altars. They're not some physical thing, although you can make a physical thing. He's looking for your heart. He's wanting you to establish an altar in your heart. He's wanting you to establish a place set aside to make sacrifices, set aside to honor God and make exchanges with God, set aside to encounter God. We encounter God in our heart and spirit. He wants your heart to become an altar, a place that's set apart uniquely and solely for Him, that our first love is for Him, and it's on that altar of your heart that He falls. He comes upon the altar that you build, and you must build that daily. And we're going to talk a little bit about the altar, building the altar. The Bible talks about us presenting our body a living sacrifice. 
what that means is God is not looking for a physical altar out there. He's looking for you to become a living altar, a place where heaven and earth meet, where the power of God flows through you into the community. That's what he's looking for. He's looking for you to become a living altar, a person whose life is set apart for the service of God, marked out, this is the altar of the Lord. Wherever I go, I am bringing an an engagement of heaven and earth. I'm bringing the presence of God into my business, into my family, into my workplace, into the community. Wherever I go, there's an altar built in my heart through prayer. There's an altar built through engaging God. There's an altar built where now God can meet people. Think about that. Think about that. The altar of the Lord. So notice it said that he repaired the altar of the Lord. Then he covered it with water, so much water, it would be impossible to set it on fire. He said, saturate it. And when they poured water on it, he said, not enough. I want you to saturate that altar. I want you to saturate that wood. I want it so wet it can't possibly burn. I want everyone to know that our God is a supernatural God and they covered it with water. Do it again. They covered it with more water. Do it again. They covered it with more water. Said any more. No, that'll do. And then the fire of God fell. My goodness me. The fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice, the wood, the stones. Even the stones vanished. That's the fire of God, the supernatural power of God. God is wanting to uh, teach them that He is the one true God. Teach them He's the one true God. And so the fire fell. Now, the fire then. So we, we've looked first at the altar. And we find the altar is a place of sacrifice. The altar is a meeting place with God. The altar is a place where the spirit realm and the natural world connect. The altar is a place that is set apart for God Himself. See? It's an important. It's the place where the Spirit of God falls. And so we're now going to look at the fire. And of course, I love it. We talk about the fire. Oh, the fire of God. Fire is really scary stuff. When fire gets going, man, it gets out of control. Whoa, that is scary stuff. So notice then the significance of the fire. The fire. Gee, there's no substitute for the fire of God. There's no substitute because the fire of God refers to the person and power and presence of the Holy Ghost. In the New Testament, the fire of God fell. The fire of God fell on every person. Fire consumes. Fire indicates passion. Fire is for purifying. Fire symbolizes many things. It's not that the Holy Ghost is fire, but His work in our life is like fire. He wants to set you on fire so you're passionate. You're full of the Holy Ghost. You've got a dream. You've got a vision. And wherever you go, people are going to get on fire as well. See, so whenever you see God in the Bible appear, so many times He appears as fire. Isn't that amazing? I love it. He appears as fire. That's so spectacular. I, want, I encourage you to read the occasions where God appeared in fire and meditate on them and think, oh my, that's my God. That's my God. That was it's so amazing. Here's the first one we find, the burning bush, Exodus 3, 2. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire. So he's just doing his business, and there's a bush, and it's burning, which happened a bit. But this one is not consumed. The fire just keeps burning. It's an unquenchable fire, but it's not using up and destroying. It's a fire that's giving off life. He says, i got to turn aside and look at that. And when he encountered the fire of God, he encountered the call of God. He encountered a mandate to make a difference in his generation. 
when you encounter the fire of God, you will also hear the call of God come to your life, speaking to you about what you're to do. In Exodus 13, 21, God appears in a pillar of fire. Now, that's something spectacular. The Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light. Well, wow, that's something else. Now, imagine outside and everywhere you go. Well, I've seen them here. Like They try to copy it in Australia. You know that? You go to the restaurants. They've got the little wee tiny pillar of fire out there outside. I mean, it's really lovely, sort of a manageable fire, you know, just a lovely glass thing and a bit of gas underneath it, and there she goes, you know. And you sit around and have whatever you're going to have. It's wonderful. But this is more than that. This is a burning column of fire that gave them warmth and light nighttime. How astounding. Every night they went out, there's a column of fire. Oh, my goodness. That is our God. He appeared to them in fire. You find him appears in Mount Sinai. I've meditated on this quite a bit. This is just the most amazing encounter in Mount Sinai. God says, you prepare the people. I'm going to come down and meet them. And so there's a mountain there, Mount Sinai, and God comes down on the third day and met them. Now, look at this. Look at this. It says, in verse uh, chapter Exodus 19:17, the Lord Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. They stood at the foot of the mountain, and it was completely covered in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire, and the smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace. The whole mountain quaked greatly. It's a big earthquake. When you find God comes in power, it shakes everything up. And it says, "In the sight of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire." Oh my goodness, he's like a consuming fire. They heard the voice, they saw the fire, they felt the earthquake, and they, instead of running to God, they ran away. said, you go up, you, you. pastor, go talk to God and bring us back what he's saying, you know. But that's not what God's intention is. God's intention is we encounter him. God was wanting us to show that in the giving of the law in the Old Testament, his glory and majesty appeared, and it was like a fire. A tremendous fire. The Bible tells us when Jesus returns, he will return with fire. A fiery returning. And one in 2 Thessalonians, he will come in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who reject his kingship. He will come as fire. So there's a fire that cleanses. There's a fire that empowers. There's a fire that purifies. There's a fire that judges and brings an end. But it's the person and power of the Holy Spirit bringing about a work in our life. We need the fire of God. You need the fire of God. Here's the next thing. The fire always falls on altars. If you look at the supernatural fire of God, it's always on an altar. It's always on an altar. Someone always built an altar. If you want to see the fire of God falling in the Old Testament, there's an altar. It falls on an altar. And so we can build an altar and have encounters with the Holy Ghost. We can build an altar in our life and have experiences with God. He only comes on altars. It's our responsibility to build the altar, see? How about that? So in Leviticus chapter 9, it says uh, Aaron. Aaron built an altar according to the instructions of the Lord, and fire came out from the presence of God and fell on that altar. It must have been staggering. I mean, just looking at an altar, and suddenly there's just fire manifests in front of you and turns this whole thing on. So it's a supernatural fire. It's the Holy Ghost. And the priest's responsibility, once fire had come, was to keep that fire burning. It's your responsibility to keep fire burning in your life. Keep the fire of God. Keep passion for the Lord. Keep hungry for the Lord. Keep on fire for Him. It's your job to do that. 
eh? King David, in 1 Chronicles 21 and verse 6, 26, it said, David built an altar to the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings and called on the Lord, and the Lord answered him from heaven by fire on the altar. Oh, God answered. God answered. Now, here's the thing you've got to understand about that story. He was offered a shortcut. Someone said, listen, I'll provide the piece of land. I'll provide the oxen. I'll provide the wood. And he said, I'll not offer anything to God that didn't cost me something. He understood that altars cost you something, that altars involve sacrifice, that altars have to be built, and your sacrifice expresses the honor you're giving to God. That's why when we come, see, a lot of people come to church, they come to a meeting. But what if instead of coming to a meeting, you came to an encounter with God and you come to bring a sacrifice to Him? Because the Bible tells us when you come to a great king, never come empty-handed, come to give Him something. Come with an offering. Not just your money, but your heart, your life, your praise, your worship, so the fire of God can fall. Man, oh man, I love that. The the fire fell on the altar. King Solomon uh, established the temple, put an altar, and he had all everyone surrounding it. And it says they were all as one voice, and the trumpets were sounding. Man, 120 trumpets. Oh, that has got to be awesome. 120 of them. 120 trumpets. Man, just give me a couple and a saxophone in the church. It'd be great. But 120 trumpets, that's a lot of noise. And as they were sounding, fire fell from heaven. The glory of God appeared in fire, and no one could stand it was so strong. So you notice, these are, the, these are the times fire fell, and it's always on an altar. Always on an altar. Always on an altar. We hear and have read about Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, verse 4. And it says, notice in verse 1, they were all with one accord in one place. There were about 500 people saw the Lord, but only 120 were still there on Pentecost. Because it was a sacrifice. They spent 10 days seeking God. 10 days they were locked in seeking God. 10 days they were letting their hearts get right with God. 10 days they were crying out to God. 10 days they were calling out, God, we want the promise of the Holy Ghost. We want the promise of fire from on heaven. And suddenly at God's appointed time, you might be one day off that appointed time. You know, you've done your fast and you made a 21-day fast and day 20 you quit. And you were one day short because the Bible says our prayers accumulate and at the appointed time, fire fell from heaven. They were filled with the Holy Ghost. They came on fire inside. Holy Ghost filled them. Oh, I love I love it. So, so we need to build an altar. We need to experience tonight God's presence and we need to keep that fire. Listen, if you're an older person, you've got no time to be letting your fire go out. Man, keep that fire burning. Keep that fire burning. Keep that, don't take that word retired. Retired, your fire will go out. We need to keep the fire burning inside us strongly. So here's the other thing. It tells us about the, about the altar of the Lord. Let me show you something in this. It said, Elijah repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. So here's the question. If the altar of the Lord is the place where heaven and earth meet, the place where God encounters us, His provision, protection, and blessing came, why is it it was broken down? How did it get broken down? And often there's a journey for things to get to a state that they're in. You look at the state of the nation now, there was a journey to get there. I want to show you a couple of things in this. And uh, the thing is, the first, the first thing that happened was the altar became compromised. Compromise means you take a shortcut. It's compromised by Jeroboam. 
there was a progressive deterioration little by little that led to the altar being broken down. So under King Jeroboam, Jeroboam means the people will strive or contend against what God wants. They got their own ideas about what they need. And it says in 1 Kings 12, verse 28, the king asked advice and he made two calves of gold and said to the people, it's too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, O Israel, which brought you out of the land of Egypt. So what did he do? He was fearful of losing control. So what he did was he changed the religion and substituted true worship that God ordained was something that was more palatable to people, more friendly, more palatable, an easy religion. Notice what he said, it's too much. He made substitutes. He made the church of the living God turn and become friendly and convenient for people. It took the spirit of sacrifice out of it. He said, this is too much to go up there. But his agenda was control. His agenda was to keep it under control. We don't need to go up to Jerusalem. We can just do something here. We'll do it in Bethel and Dan. So what he did was he made a friendly system, a convenient system. Well, you don't need. We'll just shorten the service. We'll make it easy and light. And you don't have to go all the way up to Jerusalem. Let's make one. We'll just make something over here in Bethel and Dan. He didn't change the worship of God. He just changed the service so it was convenient and didn't require sacrifice. But in doing so, he violated God's command, which was three times a year, go to Jerusalem. So he set up something that was contrary to God's word, but people liked it because it was easy. Think about that. It was convenient. He just removed God's requirements. The second thing he did, it said in 1 Kings 12, 31, he made shrines in the high place and made priests from every class of people that were not the sons of Levi. So in other words, he lowered the standards required of those who serve God. He altered the standards. He said, well, you can just do what you want. That speaks of a grace. You can do whatever you like and still be a priest. You understand? It's actually a very current message. When you, the church is altered to become convenient and attractive, and when we lower the standards by saying, well, God's grace will cover everything. You can live your life the way you want, and people are sinning. They're living together, doing this and doing this and this and this and this. And we say, it's okay. God loves you. God's grace will cover that. This is what he did. This is exactly what he did. And it says in 1 Kings 12, 31, he said he made shrines. I mentioned that one. He lowered the standards. And then he replaced. Here's the last thing he did. The last thing he did was it tells us he replaced the Feast of Tabernacles. And the, the Feast of Tabernacles held in the seventh month. And he replaced it with a feast to be held in the eighth month. And he changed the whole deal. Now, here's the thing. I can't spend time talking on the feast. But each of the feasts of God, were, they were set up by God and commanded to be kept. And each of the feasts represents an encounter with God. And all men were required to turn up every year three times at each of the feasts. Passover. Passover is a prophetic picture of Jesus' death on the cross and our need for salvation. See? Then the second one, which is Pentecost, the one we're celebrating, the Feast of Harvest, the Feast of First Fruits, is about encountering the Holy Ghost. So Passover was fulfilled when Jesus died on the cross. Christ is our Passover now. This is an ongoing experience. So Pentecost is also an ongoing experience of being filled with the Holy Ghost. What about the Feast of Tabernacles? Here's what he did. The Feast of Tabernacles is a prophetic picture of the second coming of Jesus Christ. And he 
delays the second coming, puts it off. The second coming is made up of the Feast of Trumpets where there's a prophetic voice goes for the church to prepare itself, a day of atonement when we're to put our hearts right and prepare for His coming, and then finally the coming of the Lord. Notice what He's done. He has altered that feast. He's put it off. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus is talking about the servants in the house, and He says, the wise and faithful servant prepares the house for the coming of the Lord, but the unfaithful servant, he said, my Lord delays his coming. And so he lives and drinks and eats with the uh, unsaved, and it says he begins to beat the men servants. Or the picture is, he puts off that Jesus will return, he puts off the need for preparation, he puts off accountability, and he says, you can just live the way you want and mistreat people, and no one's going to really think anything about it. He says, that Lord will come on a day when his servant is not ready. Now, see, can you see the importance of this? See the importance. So, so notice then that the places he put the new idols were in Bethel, the house of God, and in Dan, the place of right judgment. In other words, there's compromise. Now, compromise starts very simple with little things, and then it leads down a slide to where God is replaced completely. So in the day, this is a generation or so later, in the day that we talk about in the story with Jezebel and Elijah, what's happened now is the altar of the Lord has now been totally torn down, and now it's replaced with a form of religion that's completely different, that's hostile. Now it's completely hostile. See, compromise in the little stuff leads to serving new gods. And so instead of the cross, there's no more mention of the cross, no more mention of the blood, no more mention of repentance, no more mention of the need to walk and live a holy life, no more mention of the need for sanctification. I was talking to one of the pastors in our church, and they had been to a big church in America, and they said, uh, what are you going to preach on? She said, I think I'll preach on repentance. And there was a silence. And she said, I don't think I've ever heard a message on repentance. We're a fairly sophisticated church. In other words, the foundations had been totally removed. Can you see? This is what's happening. See? So, so we've got, see, this is what happened, is that all of those things, see? So now you start to talk about the cross and the blood and that Christ is the only way. Now it'll be called hate speech and you'll be in trouble. When you start to talk about God's pattern for husband and wife, when you begin to go back to the standards of the Word of God, you'll start to find now there's a hostility towards it. That's exactly what happened. It started with small compromise to make it easy, and it led down to then open hostility to anyone who believed in the supernatural power of God. The prophetic was shut down. The nation was devastated. The social fabric broke down. The moral fabric broke down. The families broke down. But God had a plan that he would repair the altar of the Lord that was broken down and fresh fire from heaven would come. Amen. He repaired the altar of the Lord. So we live in, in exactly that kind of season in history where people don't want sacrifice, give it to me easy. When you talk about God's process and getting your life right and walking with God, no, no, I just want to come on an altar call and pray for me. I want you just to fix me up. No, 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 no. You need to build an altar in your heart to the Lord. You need to repair again the altar of the Lord, which was once in great shape, broken down. You see, so we need to repair. We need to repair our altar. We need to repair our altar. And there'll be people here tonight, you need to repair your altar. Your personal altar, that's where you start. Your personal altar, you walk with God. Because you may have 
given way and compromised in all kinds of areas, sexual sin, immorality of some kind, lying, cheating, whatever it is, that's opened the way for demonic spirits to come. And so we've got to repair the altar of the Lord. We repair it by coming and repenting. We repair it by repenting. We come to the Lord and confess it to Him and ask Him to cleanse us and set us free. Repair the altar of the Lord. So God wants us to repair our personal altar so fresh fire, fresh encounters can come on it. He wants you to have daily encounters. He wants you to experience Him, to hear from Him, to flow with Him, to carry His anointing. But you've got to build an altar. And that means put your heart right with Him and tear down any evil altars, places of compromise, places where you've substituted what God required. What about your family altar? Because God just doesn't build individuals. He builds families. One of the things missing today is in family life, the family gathering together, led by the Father, who will lead them in prayer and sharing the Word of God. See, that family altar is broken down in many homes. Some of the Father's not there. He's abandoned his post because his personal altar was lost a long time ago. God wants us to rebuild the family altar. We made it a point that every morning our family would gather together around the table and we would share Bible story, Word of God, and pray for the children. You have to do that. You expose them intentionally. It's not the church's role to take over from the home. Man, this is your role to teach your children day by day the Word of God and the ways of God. And you see, if we want fire back in our homes, we need then to build the family altar. You might have a place in your home set aside for meeting with God. That can be your altar, your place, your room, your place you engage with Him. Very good to do that. But the key altar is the altar in your heart. Man, if you fail to install or build a family altar, then you've tolerated the entrance of something else into your home because it's more convenient. We need to do something about that. God wants to put fire on us. Tonight he wants to put fresh fire on you, but perhaps you need to do something about the altar. Perhaps you need to commit to prayer, a life of prayer. Got a season of fasting coming up. That's, that's the altar-building season, prayer and fasting. Its purpose is to engage with God, have fresh encounters, and to bring heaven to earth in some area. So when you pray and you fast for a season, always attach it to a purpose. The first purpose is the fresh encounter with God, purification of your heart, deepening your intimacy with Him, hearing Him. So if you're going to pray and fast, journal during that time what God's saying to you. Write down, make it important that God is coming and encountering Him. If you haven't got a family altar, build a family altar. Do something to bring Christ into the home. We need to do that. God is wanting to release fresh fire, but He releases fire on altars, hearts that are prepared. You say amen? Why don't we close our eyes right now? Has your altar fallen in disrepair? Prayer life is gone. Time in the Word of God is gone. Sacrifice isn't part of your life. There's no fasting. It's like you just are living a convenient life. At the end, you'll end up with another God in your life. It can be the God of work. It can be the God of family. It can be the God of money. It can be the gods of all sorts of things. It takes an effort and focus. See, I'm 75 now and on fire for God. But it, 
required keeping the altar. My kids would hear me praying at five in the morning. Do they know you pray? Do they hear you pray? You've just got to make a decision. Our home will be a place of prayer. As for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. So tonight, there may be some of you need to actually repair your altar. Perhaps that means there's something you need to repent from. Bring it to the Lord right now. Perhaps it's in the giving. Perhaps it's in the area of prayer, fasting, reading the word. Perhaps it's just you've compromised and things you've let get into your life. Remember, you're a living altar, so what you let into your eyes and let into your heart can destroy and break down the altar. So what do you need to repent of tonight? What do you need to put right? Let's make a decision to build again, repair the altar of the Lord that's broken down so fresh fire can come. Would you do that right now, just in your heart, wherever you are? Just talk to the Lord and present yourself. If you need to repent, do it now. If you need to sort some things out when you go home, get rid of things that are substitute for God, then do it when you go home. If you need to commit to the season of prayer and fasting, need to build your prayer life, whatever it is, talk to the Lord now about it. What is the Holy Spirit saying to you about your altar? What will you do? Men, if you're not leading your household, why not? If you're not leading them into the ways of God, the rest of the world has a voice into your children's heart to take them another path. God puts the responsibility upon the man to lead his household, to build an altar. There's a warfare for your children. And that's why the key thing around Elijah, he repaired the altar of the Lord, but it was so that the hearts would be turned back to families again. Children to the parents, parents to the children. I can feel the Holy Spirit moving now to touch many people. We're going to just wait on the Lord a moment or two. And you're going to find God's Spirit's going to come and start to come on hearts. Going to come on lives. I believe there's going to be people delivered tonight. I believe there's people going to be freshly fired up with the Holy Ghost. I know it's quiet right now, but it's not going to stay this way long. God's wanting to put fire. So you prepare your altar. Prepare your heart. Prepare your heart. God falls on the hearts that are ready. Holy Spirit, I cry out to you now to come upon hearts that are ready, hearts that are prepared. I ask, Lord, right now that where the altar is broken down, there will be deep repentance. Repentance from bitterness, from judgments, from uncleanness, from sexual sin, from offenses, from judgment, whatever it is. That Lord, right now you'll touch hearts and lives. Father, we ask right now that in the hearts of people you will establish again first love. We cry out, O oh God, for fresh fire to come tonight. I cry out for fires of deliverance, for deliverance fire to come. I cry out for healing to come. I cry out, Lord, for your spirit to fall upon people, to fall upon this church. 
for it to begin to enter a whole new season, for there to come a fresh wave of your spirit. Lord, tonight, as you fell on Pentecost, begin to fall upon people tonight. We cry out to you, Holy Ghost, to come. Fall upon people. Fall upon people just right where they are. We thank you, Lord. You're a great God. You're a merciful God. You're an awesome God. We're looking forward to you touching our lives. Thank you, Holy Ghost. Thank you. We feel your presence here. We feel your presence here. We feel your goodness here. We feel you here, Lord. We thank you, Lord. We honor you, Lord. We open our lives to you. Hallelujah. Your presence is here. Oh, my. I can sense his presence here right now. I sense his presence. Hearts are ready. Hearts are prepared. God is falling upon you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.